reading from the book of Acts, and if you'd like to follow it in your, your pew Bibles, the page is 1111. We're reading from chapter 16, starting at verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day to Neapolis. From there we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Theatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray for Kai before he speaks to us, shall we? Father God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that we live in a place where we can read it openly and without fear. Father, we pray for Kai now. We pray that you would come by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak through him to us, that you would give him the courage and the conviction to say those things to us that you have placed on his heart. And for us, Lord, by your Spirit, open our hearts and minds that we might have ears to hear, but hearts to listen to your voice. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, lovely people, and it is lush, as always, to be here and to be with you, and well, I've had a busy weekend. I spent this weekend at a conference in South Wales, and I knew a lot of people at this conference who was for Christian leaders and the rest of it, and the classic question was, how long have you been in Arboristwith now? And that kept coming up and up and up. Like a first-year student being asked, you know, what did you do in your A-levels? It just kept coming up and up. How long have you been there now? And 
every time I'd answer, well, you know, it's been uh, three to four years, but take out two for COVID, so I still find the feel new. But people are interested in how long. And it's a lovely thing when people are interested in you and want to know what's going on and what is going on here. But whenever I get asked questions like that, it always makes me reflect on where I was just before I came here and where I am, I guess, now. And you know what? And possibly to my shame, the one thing I thought yesterday when people asked me about the last few years is, I have turned into something. And that is, I have turned middle-aged. <laughs> when I arrived here, I still viewed myself as a kind of young, dynamic go-getter. I was even still in my 30s. But now I feel like I have reached middle age. When I get up, and I, you know, I'm still doing the act of sitting on the floor with the kids, you know. But when I get up, I make a noise, you know. <laughs> I make a noise. I've started to walk into rooms and wonder, what on earth am I doing in this room? Why I come in here in the first place? I've started enjoying going to bed early. I've started watching inoffensive things on TV. And just this week, I had a little bit of a semi-meltdown come rage when I couldn't find my sunglasses. I was on my own in the house, strutting up and down, stomping my feet, getting outraged. Who's it on this? Who's taking it? And of course, where were they? You're one step ahead of me. They were on my head. <laughs> Things that you just kind of miss. And I remember being in my 20s, being petrified of being middle-aged, you know, getting to that age. But actually, I'm kind of enjoying it a little bit. I'm enjoying all these little quirks that go along with it. I'm still waiting for the crisis to come, though I confess I have been looking at apps to see what I'd look like with a wig on. <laughs> I'm still looking at those things to come. But it was the sunglasses thing especially that got me this week and how easy it is to miss things. The theme of today's sermon is where is God at work and for these next few weeks we're really looking at that theme of where is God at work and that really is something that like those sunglasses on my head we can miss in fact we can tell the tale of the narrative of God is not at work God might be at work in Ghana or Uganda or in Africa God might be at work at South America but God isn't at work here in the UK. God isn't at work in Europe. And in fact, the church is in crisis in these kind of countries. And the truth is, we can very much miss God being at work. And the passage that we have just heard really helps us realise, though written some 2,000 years ago, that God is constantly at work. And the great challenge that there is for us is actually to keep recognising it, to keep looking for it, and above all, not to harden our hearts to it. So we pick up this reading from Acts, and read so beautifully as always by Don, we pick it up, and the first few lines seem, shall we say, functionary. 
You know, we're talking about towns, we're talking about villages, and we're talking about journeys. And Paul and his good companion and good mate Timothy are on this journey from one place to another. They're starting in Galatia and they're making their way to Macedonia, where they are to preach the word, tell people about Jesus, and hopefully see people come to faith as a result. Lovely, functionary stuff. Before we get onto the good stuff, that is the conversion of somebody. But here, even here, and maybe especially here, we see God very much at work. And as always, God is very much in the detail. When I was looking at that this week, I was thinking, oh, here we go, a story of a moving from one place to another. But then you look at the map and you realize from their starting point to their end point, there's about 400 miles. And in between, there's a lot of major towns and cities and villages. And we're even told that some of them, they are prevented by the spirit from even entering. They bypass town after town after town, can't go to that town, begin at this town, and basically do a long way around to get to another town. And it makes no sense. And I can imagine this coming up at a church committee meeting. I can imagine if me and Liz were to say, we're going on a mission trip, and we're starting you, and we're ending you, and we want to hit every major town, and saying, and by the way, we're going to miss out a lot of towns People turn around and saying, that's nonsense. That's a waste of resources. What about those poor people in those towns? Don't they deserve to hear the message of Jesus? And as it would turn out, they would hear the message of Jesus. Later on in the scriptures, we are told that Peter and his companions would visit those towns and proclaim the gospel. But it wouldn't be for these guys to do it they had another mission in place what I think is so remarkable so amazing and actually so challenging to us about this particular passage and the way they did things they defied logic they defied human thought they defied what was right to do what was right under the eyes of God They didn't follow the normal, recognisable path of how you would plan a trip. But they did do it God's way. And I think especially when I was reading through this, I was struck by Paul. Timothy, of course, was a convert, came through his parents and came to faith. He was a Gentile who came later. But Paul, good old Paul, he was a Pharisee. He was an academic He was a clever guy. He was a guy who was schooled in a certain way of doing things with certain laws and certain traditions and certain structures. Paul was a guy who really, though a believer in God, had so much logic going on with that. When he met with Jesus, when the Spirit fell upon him, so much of that actually was undone. And I wonder, looking at Paul how much was struggle that may have been for him for his whole life. That the ways of logic, structure, how things should be, were undone. And constantly undone. 
And he needed to examine himself to be undone so that it would be done in God's way. If this happened, I'll say it again, in the church today, I guarantee any church leader, any evangelist, any missionary will be told, you're doing it wrong. You have got a hit every single time. You've got to hit it in a certain order and you've got to do it the right way. But here's the simple truth, boys and girls and people of all ages. God is cleverer than us. God is wiser than us. God is bigger than us. And his plans are bigger than our plans. His ways are more magnificent than our ways. And his way of dealing with the mission in that whole region was his way. I don't know why it wasn't for them to go to those towns and it was for Peter's, but God knew and that's good enough for me. The challenge, I guess, for it all is to recognise God at work when God is doing it in a way that we don't recognise, in a way that we don't want him to do. God works, and so often God's people don't recognize it because they are used to doing it in their way. Now, you may know already that I'm a big fan of revivals. I'm a big fan of revivals throughout the world. I love reading about revivals. I love studying about revivals, and especially I love studying about revivals that have happened right here in Wales. And do you know what's incredible about the last revival that happened in Wales? Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people came to faith. Many of those peoples became missionaries who went to the other side of the world to tell people about Jesus. So many people in the world today trace, if you will, the journey of being communicated to Jesus back here to Wales. But at the time, there was a significant proportion of the church in Wales who thought this was rubbish. Many churches of all denominations looked at that revival and said, that's not of God. It's more much in emotion. There's not enough word. Not enough people are being taught the truth of Christ. There's not enough temperance going on. They were so stubborn to their own ways that they couldn't see God at work. And I hear this all the time, and people will say to me, I can guarantee I can go to any church in this town, pretty much any church in Wales, and say, do you want a revival? And people will say yes. But the next challenge is, do you really? Are you prepared for God to do it in a way that is not what you want? Are you prepared to sacrifice a certain style of preaching for the sake of somebody else's salvation? Are you prepared to sing different kinds of songs in church for someone else's salvation? Are you prepared to recognize that God is at work in somebody else in a different way to you for the sake of their salvation? Are you willing to make sacrifices yourself or is it about you? Is it about you and the Lord? Is it about what you want or I want more than anything else? 
Do I want to see St. Mike's glorified more than I want to see God move in Wales? And I know there's a part of me, when I look at our own LMA, would say, I'd love to have full churches here, but I would happily sacrifice full churches here for everyone else to come to faith in other churches in this town and throughout this land. Do we do it in God's way? Are we willing to see what God is doing? Are we willing to actually park our own expectations, park our own desires, park whatever is going on in us and look at what Jesus is doing? The great evangelist John Wimber, who some of you might have heard of, who sadly died, an incredible guy, was once asked the question about, you know, where's the meat when you get up and preach? And they already said, the meat is on the street. If you want to see meat, go and tell people on the street about Jesus. What we do in here is lovely, but it's got to impact what we do outside of here. Are we willing to recognize God at work? Because really, a lot of that, and for us who might be stayed Christians of many decades, that can involve going through a bit of a pole and doing what we know and doing those years of training and doing our own expectations and saying, Lord, have your way in me. And that's not a one-off event. That's a continuous event. That is something that continually needs to happen to us to recognize what is going on. For decades, people in Wales certainly have been talking about revival, praying for revival. And I actually believe that if you go across the land here in Wales, you will see signs of revival but that revival can be quashed. And it can be quashed when God's people put themselves first and what they expect first. We need to put God first. And we need to take the attitude here of Paul and Timothy of saying, I might not be going to that town, but that's okay. I'll go to the next one. Look at what God is really doing and open our eyes beyond ourselves beyond our own church beyond where we are and see what is happening outside because as they moved along that is exactly what these two guys did they were looking for where God was really at work and they found it as it would turn out in this woman called Lydia. Now, what's remarkable about Lydia is really how unremarkable she was. You could say that, well, she's a woman, and they are speaking to a woman, but really, there's no great shakes in that. Jesus has been speaking to women since he began his ministry. By this point in the history of the church, there were women leading churches. Lydia was quite well off. She was a dealer in purple cloth, which would have meant she was a tradesperson who had a bit going on. She had a little bit of moolah in her pocket, if you know what I mean. She'd done well for herself. 
And that's kind of unremarkable as well. She was basically a middle-aged, middle-class woman. What's remarkable about that in the context of Acts and even the Gospels is there are very few people like Lydia. Most of the people who the Gospel reaches to initially are people who you might call on the edge. It's the poor. It's the infirm. It's the people who are struggling. It's the eunuchs. It's the slaves. But here we have basically an everyday woman who comes to know and believe in the Lord. And what I find really remarkable about her to begin with is she's described as a worshipper of God. Now commentators have wondered for years what that would mean. It could have meant that she was Jewish and she needed to see Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. Or it could be that she acted and practiced some kind of other religion. Or it could be that she didn't really have any religion as such to speak of, but she believed in God. And why this is so interesting is because right here, right now, in Aberystwyth, that's where a lot of people are. There are a lot more Lydias than there aren't Lydias in this town and in this nation. A lot more people who are doing all right for themselves, kind of believe in God in some way, but don't know who Jesus is. You know, it is true that less people identify themselves as Christian in the UK these days. I think here in Ceredigion, it's about 46% of people identify as Christian. But here's the strange quirk. Year on year, more people identify themselves as believing in God. Bible society statistics actually say every year, the graph goes up of people who say they believe in God. We're not necessarily talking about a Christian God, of course, We could be talking about other kinds of religions, just spirituality in general. But understanding that there's something out there. You know what I mean? That there's something there. A stark contrast to maybe a generation ago where atheism was the big selling point. You know, be an atheist, but the world's changing. You don't see so many books that would counter atheism in Christian bookshops. People these days are much more obsessed, I guess you'd say, with identity, their personal identity, and who they are as a person, what they believe, and really how one person's truth and another person's truth can kind of be different, but that's okay. But this belief in God is absolutely there. We need tell those people who kind of believe in God the truth about Christ. We need to pray that like Lydia, their hearts would be open to hear the word. Remember, we don't do the converting. The Lord does the converting. Lydia was at the point of being open to hear what God was saying. These guys, Paul and Timothy, were at the point of being willing to say what God was saying. She heard and she came 
to believe. I wonder how many people in this town, how many people in the towns where we live are Lydia's? How many people just want to hear that there is a Lord, that there is a Jesus who died for their sins, that there is a Christ who gave all on the cross so that they would be forgiven, that they would receive the gift of eternal life, that this thing that we do here is absolutely true. I wonder how many people there are who want to hear that. And my sense is, there's a lot. There's a lot of people who want to hear that. In all the uncertainty, there are people who want to hear the certainty of Christ. There are people who want to know who he is. And that is our job. And I say our job, which I really mean it is our job. It ain't my job. It's part of my job, but it's all our job to tell people who Jesus really is because the results are just spectacular. And look what happened to Lydia after she came to believe and understand who Jesus was. She went and her whole household was baptised, which really basically means, I guess, she went, told them all, what she had heard, they also came to believe and they came to know Christ. And then they showed hospitality to Paul and Timothy as well. They were starting to put what God was doing to them into practice. Lydia met with the Lord and she had a story to tell of the Lord at work in her life. And this is what challenged me this week. I was going for a walk with a dog and I was thinking about all this stuff and praying through it all and asking, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I literally was walking the dog and went, Lord, show me where you're at work this week. Show me a story to tell. And actually, the Lord showed me so many things. The Lord showed me everything from conversations I had at this spot with someone who was visiting the church and came to talk about these things. He showed me the supernatural peace he gave to me at one point this week when I was getting really anxious. He showed me a story of a church in Ghana who had an AGM report that reported under this section of miracles, subsection A, raising from the dead. Stories of God at work. And this is where I want to challenge us on here to be like Lydia who went off and shared the story of God at work. We need to identify where God is at work in our lives. And we don't do it very well. And it's back to those sunglasses again on the head. We can stomp our feet and get enraged and complain and whinge or whatever else, but it's always there. God is always at work. In our news sheet, we used to have a section called God at Work, but we stopped doing it because nobody wanted to bring stories. We've got a board at the back of church there, a God at Work, but we haven't had much on it for ages, but people haven't got stories. But God's at work. And God is at work in each and every one of us. 
And sometimes we don't recognize it because, again, like me with those sunglasses, we're stomping around getting enraged that we can't actually recognize him at work. So here's my challenge for you this week. Park the whinging. I don't mean, you know, don't get upset when you need to get upset. Lament when you need to lament. If you've got bad news, pray about it, talk about it. Don't try and battle through. But where there's a whinge, you know what I mean? Where there's a whinge of, I don't know, you can't find a car parking space. Where there's a whinge of, actually, you want to have a bit of a whinge about, you know, your boss. That's going to go nowhere. When you want to have a bit of a whinge about the church and the leadership of the church and all the rest of it, just for this week, that's all, just this week, park it. And every day, ask the Lord to show you, where am I at work? Where is he at work? Where is God at work? Every day. And if you can, write it down. Tap a note on your phone. Make a little note of it, but watch God at work. Little things, big things, conversations you have with people. Could be in creation. Anything from, I just feel nice today, to God's raised somebody from the dead. Anything on that scale where God is at work, just write it down and record it. Because I believe that that will change the atmosphere. I believe that that will change us as people. When we have that attitude of gratitude for what the Lord is doing, it will change us and we will recognise it all the more what God is doing. And actually, the week after, we might not want to win quite so much. But our hearts will be open all the more to see where God is at work. Where God is at work on the everyday. And then... And here's even more of a challenge. Don't be scared to share it. Don't be scared to be a Lydia. Don't be scared to pass on the information of where God is at work. And build each other up. Encourage each other. And when we encourage each other, then when things don't make no sense, when we have to make the journey from A to Z and miss out all the letters in between, like Paul and Timothy in this reading, we'll go all right, I get it now. Because it's God who's the one at work. And God is the one to whom we can point to. And God is the one to whom we can show the way to a world who is absolutely looking for it. I'm going to ask the question for us again here today. I've asked this question before, but this time I really want you to consider it. Do you want to see God move in this place? I'm going to ask it again. <laughs> Do you want to see God move in this place? Yes. Thank you. Do you want to see a revival? Yes. Do you want to see more people come to faith? Yes. Do you want to see more people come to know Jesus as their personal saviour? Yes. Then do something about it. <laughs> Look at where God is at work. Be willing to make those sacrifices to allow him to be at work. Have the conversations about who he is and the goodness that he is. And in all things, point the way to the cross because this is what he did for the world. Demonstrate who he is and then allow God to do his thing. Allow his spirit to move. That is on him, not on us. All they did was communicate and God's spirit did the work with Lydia And God's spirit will do the rest with everyone else. 
And let's share those stories of God at work. And may those stories get out there. And may all the world truly see his goodness. Let's pray, shall we? And I wonder if you're able and you'd like to, just to stand up. And the band's just going to play a little bit of music. And I'm going to pray. I'll just say if you can't stand, that's fine as well. Nothing magic happens when you stand up. It's an act, I guess, of us doing something to respond, but you can respond in your heart as well. Let's spend a moment allowing God's Spirit to move you. And invite the Lord in where you are as well. Invite the Lord into your heart right now. And the first thing I really feel like we should ask the Lord to do is get rid of cynicism. Get rid of that kind of nagging feeling that maybe we carry of God can't be at work. Get rid of that nagging feeling of maybe God has passed us. Get rid of that nagging feeling that some of us, so many of the times we carry of these things were before, but they're not for now. And all the other things that maybe focus us on ourselves. And Lord, we repent for these attitudes that we carry. And we pray that we, your church, will be more open to what you are doing. And we pray especially that we would be open to what you were doing when in our human minds things make no sense. We lift this world to you right now that makes no sense. We lift these age and this time that we live in that just make no sense. And we pray that we would be so open by the power of your spirit to see where you are at work in this day. We pray that we would recognize that. And we pray, Lord, that we, your church, would sacrifice all our own desires at the foot of the cross and then allow you to do your thing. And Lord, forgive us for when we've been stubborn ourselves and looked for our own thing. We pray, Lord, that you would come and move. And Lord, we pray this week and we pray this day and we pray even right now that you would reveal to our hearts stories of you at work stories of you doing things stories of you and your spirit at work in our lives and in our hearts and we pray that they would not be overtaken by things of the world we pray that we would feel those spiritual sunglasses on our head when we're looking for them and we pray Lord that you would give us the courage to communicate these things as well that you would give us the courage to tell other people we pray Lord that you would truly move and Lord we do pray more people to come to faith and we do pray for revival we plead for it in this land and across this world
we pray that you would come and you would move and you would prepare the way in us in your church and in the places where people haven't met with you to move just as Paul and Timothy and Lydia you were doing the work before you would prepare the way to move come Lord we pray in the name of Jesus your son Amen.